morning and welcome to Bite Size. My name is Oni Pollock. And I'm your host here on Wednesdays from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern right here at the Nachum Seal Network. It's April. We made it, folks. It's April, and I tell you, out of my uh, seven, six and a half winters in New York, I think this one was my favorite. Sure. Maybe a little chillier earlier this week, but I'm seeing a lot of 60s, some 50s. Okay, Shabbos maybe a little chilly again, but honestly, it's been an awesome winter. Like, really, it's gone by quickly. What, like three, four, maybe snow events, storms, if you will. Maybe like a few days of sub 20 degrees. Honestly, it's been great. Thank the Lord. And uh, how do we say? Mirtashem next year as well, right? Can Yerbu, what any of those uh, sayings? Let's do it again next year because this was a great winter. That's one thing to be thankful for. Another thing to be thankful for on this uh, Wednesday, and really on this any day. I don't think I've gone on this intro yet. If I have, I apologize, but it is certainly worthwhile to do it again if I have. I really don't think I have, though. But we need to talk about something. We need to talk about a certain location, a certain company, a certain store, that is really just just incredible. And I'm talking about Trader Joe's. Because Trader Joe's has entered my life over the last year, and it is uh, I don't think it's ever going to leave. To say that I am obsessed with Trader Joe's is, I mean, I just absolutely love Trader Joe's. I do, and, and it, it really started once the uh, Lower East Side location here opened. It's a mere six streets you know, from the studio, in between the studio and the subway. So anytime I go home, I just stop at Trader Joe's whenever I want. And I'm, if you know me, I'm I'm extremely into convenience. I hate going out of my, you know, I'll go out of my way for certain things, whatever. But I, if it's on the way, there's there's nothing more that leaves me, you know, feeling accomplished and, and like feeling efficient than, you know, if I can make something on the way. So Trader Joe's is on the way. And it's just an excellent, excellent grocery store. And, uh, you know, you maybe have seen videos out there about the way Trader Joe's uh, latches on to consumers and ensures that they uh, stick around as long as possible. I, you know, I, I could honestly spend an hour and a half, two hours there and not be bored. Like just looking at all the different items that they offer. And, and most recently, it's been the shakshuka starter. And, and I bought it last week on like Thursday. Bought two of them. All right, try it out. Everyone's been obsessing with it, and it is certainly worth the obsession. And I, I, I like, I bought two, ate them right away, and I went to the store on Monday night on my way back from work and bought another seven. I felt bad. Like honestly, I would have bought twenty, but like, all right, you know, there's there's only X amount in the store, and I don't want to ruin it for everyone. Um, but next time I go, I will try and buy twenty if they have more. Like, if you if you are obsessed with Trader Joe's like I am, then you probably already know about this. There's a Kosher Trader Joe's group on Facebook that has about 30,000 or so members. And, and the funny thing about this this group is that it, it's great for me to know, learn you know, about certain products or whatever that I wouldn't know about, like the Shakshuka Starter. But people have been posting about it for like two weeks. There's been about like 40 posts on it. <laughs> and I feel like I, I just want to respond in my snarky way. Like, yeah, we've seen this 14 times already. It's fine. Like, there's no need to keep posting about it. 
but everyone's just so obsessed with it. And I'm just looking at some of the mo- more recent um, posts, a lot of it about like, what's going on on Pesach there. Um, literally, freezer fulls of shakshuka starters. I mean, this is five by 15 deep freezer just of shakshuka. I mean, that's five by 15, you know, four rows high. There's got to be like 200 or so um, shakshukas in that freezer. I would literally buy the whole thing. Um, looking through some, you know, people are asking about gluten-free bread. They have, I mean, my, uh, I, I don't even know. My sister-in-law is, I don't know, one of these dairy-free, wheat-free things. And, and you know, I, I text her every time. Not every time. She probably wishes every time. But I text her a lot if I'm going there. You know, do you need me to pick me up, to pick up anything? And, you know, she's always asking for the gluten-free uh, bagels, which she says are excellent. Um, just looking more through some of the pictures here. They're organic corn chip dippers people love. They're dips. Um, the Swell ice cream, which actually is not Trader Joe's. I did try it the other day, even though I'm on my diet, but this is a low-fat ice cream, um, low sugar. And uh, listen, for $1.99, you could do a lot worse. But I will tell you it sort of tastes like a low-fat, low-sugar ice cream, meaning it's doable. Yeah, will I buy it again? I'm not sure. Um, a lot of the things that I buy, you know, you're looking. I'm looking at healthy, but I'm mostly looking for bang for buck. And that's what's great about Trader Joe's is a lot of things that are just so cheap there. Um, like this swell ice cream, it's just a dollar ninety nine. The shakshuka starter is a dollar ninety nine. I sent it to one of my friends' group, and I'm like telling them I'm obsessing over it. They're like, "Is it great?" Yeah, and he's like, "Would you buy it at nine ninety nine? I was like, "No way, <laughs> that's overpriced. That's crazy." And I and I love it. It's really good. Would I buy it at five dollars? Probably not. But at a dollar ninety nine, I could reasonably make one or two of those. Let's say one, right, with three eggs. Call it a day. That is a cheap dinner. That is a good, good dinner. A healthy dinner. Um. You know, people have different hacks with it, making it with like Moroccan fish because it's, it, you know, the shakshuka starter is basically a uh, some sort of combination of tomatoes and peppers. And it's in this frozen, not like a pouch, but a, whatever it is, you just plop it, you, you put it on your, your frying pan, whatever, uh, you know, for 10 minutes or so and it's ready to go. And you throw in a few eggs and you got yourself a dinner, a lunch, a breakfast, whatever you're making it for. Um, but there's different hacks you could do with it. People are talking about their vegetables, their, uh, what is this, their coconut chips. And admittedly, some of their stuff is not good. I will be the first to tell you some of their stuff is some some of the stuff is a little overpriced. Some of the stuff is just not good, um, either not good for you or just frankly not good. Um, you know, I was a little under underwhelmed by the swell ice cream, but you know, it's not a Trader Joe's item, so we'll uh, we'll allow it. But um, I'm trying to think exactly. I mean, I love their spice blends; they're great. You know, the everything, but the bagel people love their umami. If I'm pronouncing it correctly, garlic salt, all these different combos at you know a dollar ninety nine or whatever. Everyone loves their Scandinavian swimmers. Um, I think that's was it two forty nine, two ninety nine. Um, the first time Trader Joe's opened here, like eight months ago or whatever. I, I don't even remember exactly, but I went and I got like all their dippers, and I love their multi grain crackers. I mean, their dunkers, excuse me, their multi grain crackers. Uh, they're they're, they're chocolate chip covered pretzels, which are outstanding. Granted, everyone's are because that's just an amazing snack. Um, what else have I tried at Trader Joe's? I will never, and if you know this about me, I will never touch their cereals because I, they're trying to do this funky, healthy, weird stuff with their cereals. Like, no, cereals are meant to be cereal. Cereals are meant to be delicious, sugary, not particularly healthy. Okay, there's a good, you know, Special K has done a pretty good job and. um not that Raisin Bran or Honey Nut Cheerios are necessarily so, so healthy, but, you know, maybe better alternatives than your Cocoa Pebbles, Cocoa Puffs, and Reese's Puffs. But uh, Trader Joe's, don't don't dip into the, the cereals, please. That's not nice. That's not how you handle cereals, Trader Joe's. Um, what else? I, I like their sweet potato fries. Listen, their, their non-dairy ice cream is absolutely phenomenal. It's terrible for you, but it's so 
so good in such an easy uh, dessert on a Shabbos. Um, I mean, everything in the freezer section I've probably touched that's kosher, honestly, uh, from their frozen fruit, which I've had, to their frozen, uh, some of their frozen vegetables you could have. Uh, it's great. The regular vegetables, you know, normal bags of, of broccoli and cauliflower for two twenty nine instead of uh, three seventy nine at your local key food in Washington Heights. Um, it's, literally, this past Friday, I went to pick up some cauliflower broccoli from my key food because I, I didn't get it. At a, I forgot to get it at Trader Joe's, honestly, and I went the day before. Um, and she looks at it. She's like, you're paying three seventy nine for this. I said, on, I, I said, yeah, you're right. This is your store. Uh, you know, I paid two twenty nine at Trader Joe's. I just forgot about it. She's like, wow. And it's crazy overpriced. I said, yeah, what do you expect from key food? But listen, for the most part, I could go on and on about Trader Joe's and, and all the cool things that they have and the different products and their uh, cheap prices mostly and and that a lot of things are kosher and that everything is, for the most part, Trader Joe's brand. You know, they started their own Bamba. Um, I could go on and on. You could go to the Kosher Trader Joe's group on Facebook. Um, if you're a Trader Joe's fan like I am, this is nothing is new to you here. Um, it's just absolutely so, so phenomenal. What a store. You know, I was joking with a friend of mine. My friend of mine asked me the other day, um, you know, where should he go on a date? And I say, honestly, if I was a girl and you said, hey, we're going to Trader Joe's for two hours, I like I I I I don't know what I would do, but I would love it. Like like that's all I, I just want to go to Trader Joe's and hang out for two and a half hours like so easily. There's just so much in that store. And I know maybe the Upper West Side locations or other locations. I've really only been to the Upper West Side ones or the one on Lower East Side. Uh, I think the Lower East Side one is actually the biggest in New York, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, I could hang out there forever. And, by the way, there's a Target upstairs, too, for those of you that are Target fans. But um, I am just such a huge Trader Joe's fan, and uh, everyone should be, too, because it's just such a great store. You, 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 you go online, and there's, like, literally 30 people online, but there's 50 registers. I'm not, I, I kid you not, uh, Monday night I go... I go stand in line, and the line is like past the uh, you know whatever line they originally have set up, and it's leaking into the store. But within five minutes, I'm I'm at a register because there's so many people working there. Um, I actually um, I go to check out, and like it's my seventh shakshuka. He's like, oh, I'm like, yeah, a lot of shakshuka. Why not? And then he sees the ice cream, and he looks at it. He says, oh, it's kosher. He says, yeah, I'm Jewish. I didn't realize it was kosher. I was like, yeah, you see, like. You just there's so many different things at that store that either you don't know that are kosher or just so cool that you're like, wow, I, I got to try. I want to try. <sighs> so uh, at Trader Joe's, if you want to send me a free bag for uh, all the promo I just did for you, hit me up because that'd be kind of sweet. Anyway, Trader Joe's, you, you should spend five days a week there. Um, maybe I should start working there, too. Don't tell my bosses, but honestly, I absolutely just love Love that store, and we'll continue to just shout them out and shop there because when you do something well, and I'm a fan, then I'm a fan, and I will continue to pump it up. All right, let's talk about what's on this week's show besides for more Trader Joe's stories and Trader Joe's phenomenal products. Um, We have Joanna Shepson will join the program at 9.30 a.m., and she will talk to Dr. Shimon Lev, the curator at the Tower of David exhibit, The Mount. The Mount is the exhibit there. At the Tower of David, uh, that'll happen at about 9.30 a.m. Eastern today. And then at 10 a.m., it'll be Tovin Israel. She talks to Rabbi Joshua Gerstein, the rabbi and author of A People, A Country, A Heritage. That'll come up at the top of hour number two. But for now, great music, and we start things off with the one song and one song only. Mahabicha Shel Simchan, this Wednesday on Bite Size, right here at the Nachum Siegel Network.
שעושים פה מסיבה בלעדיי אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני נשים את הצרות מאחוריי אני לא הולך עד שכולכם מג'נונים שמעתי שהתחלתם בלעדיי אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני הראש כבר מסתובב כולם בהיי לא נעצור עד שכולכם מג'נונים
לפעמים מרגישים שהחיים כל כך קשים, מה יהיה עוד יום עד שנה? התקרנו יום? אבל אני מחייך, לא דואג להמשך, כי יש לי, יש לי אמונה. לפעמים מרגישים שהחיים כל כך קשים, מה יהיה עוד יום עוד שנה? אבל אני מחייך, לא דואג להמשך. כי יש לי, יש לי אמונה. אני מאמין בניסים, אני יודע שיש אלוקים, והוא בורא עולם, הכוח של כולם שומע את קולי. אני מאמין בניסים, אני יודע שיש אלוקים, והוא בורא עולם. הכוח של כולם ישלח לי את הנס, ישלח לי את הנס שלי, יאללה! קומאדיווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווווו
back here on Bite Size, bottom of hour number one. And it's time for Joanna Shepson's interview with Dr. Shimon Lev, the curator at the Tower of David exhibit, The Mount. We'll learn more about it right here, right now on Bite Size at the Nachum Segal Network. Thank you, Yoni. So today I'm actually in the Tower of David Museum in their brand new exhibit called The Mount, and I'm sitting with Dr. Shimon Lev, who is the curator of this new exhibit. Hi. Hi. So he, he started to give me a little bit of background, and I said, oh, we've got to start recording right away because there's so much great information about how he planned this exhibit and what the exhibit is. So I'll let him start. I'll just let you know that this is a, an exhibit of photography from 1836 to... 1839. 1839 until present day, and it's a photojournalistic um, exhibit showing the Temple Mount, um, but I'll let him talk first. So tell me a little bit about what this exhibit means to you and, and let the readers know why they should come and see it. Yeah, okay. So first, when I, when I suggested this uh, exhibition to the director of the museum, to Elat Lieber, you know, and then she approved it, I said, I didn't sleep for the whole night from excitement. I really, it was, I said, wow. Because this is like, I, I cannot think about more interesting topic, sensitive, holy, religious conflicts which you can have in Jerusalem or in the whole Middle East in a way which has also implications broadly or like over all the world and also of course in a, a lot of questions of identity in Israel. So and and the idea was uh, to look about uh, this sensitive and holy place like the Temple Mount and we are dealing with the whole compound as full photography, how it's developed from what we can say, Orientalist view during the mid-19th century, like the first photographer to photograph the Temple Mount, till what is today, let's say, the volcano of uh, Jerusalem, like which has two parallel issues, like daily life on one hand, but on the other hand, kind of a volcano. Yeah, we, you deal with politics, you deal with religion, you deal with culture. So many different aspects of Jerusalem are involved in this exhibit. Um, what was, in your impression, the first photographer who took a picture of the Temple Mount, what was his impression of it, the place? Yeah, so the first, the first uh, part, and there were a lot of uh, photographers at that time in the 19th century, that's what we used to call, or we are, we are using the term Orientalist photography, but it's not exactly like we could say that they were the first, the first photographer to document uh, the Mount. And this was very important because the Temple Mount was... You could not go in. It was forbidden to non-Muslim to go in. So it was kind of mysterious. And they were coming to see it as a, as a monument. As a not, They were not so much interested in the people. So it's kind of this mysterious monument with different reasons, like Christian motives, uh, research motives, things like that. Usually, in the beginning, they took photos only from outside, from the temp- from Mount of Olive. And then slowly, slowly, through the decline of the Ottoman Empire, they were able to go in and to start to document. So they were the first photographer to bring the world um, uh, the Temple Mount. To so give them access. To like give access, and it's like kind of, uh, you know, the, the, in the, it was very, like the first, first photograph of Jerusalem in 1839. It's actually two months after, what, after the patent of the daguerreotype was registered in Paris. It was a big wave. It's very important for, in general, for the development of photography in general all over the world. All over, every big museum has a collection of photographs from the Orient to that time because it was very much into going parallel to the history of photography, to the development of photography. 
So as you can hear, um, Dr. Shimonlev has a, a strong background in photography. That's one of his passions. Would you say it's, it's your hobby or your work, both, or mixes work. both? It's, uh, <laughs> it's, the, it's the place where uh, I can combine two great aspects, the love of photography and academic research. And this and, is what I'm doing in this exhibition. And this exhibition really shows that. He was describing to me um, the difference between the pictures he chose to hang on the walls versus the pictures that show up on the different screens. You want to explain to the listeners? Yeah. Like, you know, as, as a curator, you have... First, it's a huge subject. So you have thousands of thousands of uh, photographs. So, of course, you have to do... To select and, to, and that it will fit your curatorship, curatorship uh, thesis. So this is uh, very important. But... For example, in the, there is a chapter dealing, uh, dealing with the, the mount as target, a different kind of uh, attempts to blow up the, uh, the mosque or planning. So I make this distinction between the things happened and things that only were planned. Like most of the, all the Jewish, what we call the Jewish underground, were just planned. I mean, there was one American soldier, Jewish Israeli American soldier, Alan Goodman, who went in and was firing uh, with a gun. But the biggest, uh, or the, the one of the main event, was the burning of the Al-Aqsa Mosque in '69 by the Christian fundamentalist Michael Dennis Rohan, and this was, uh, and this was, uh, it was after the '67 war, like two years after that, and it was like suddenly people realize how sensitive the place is. And, and that then, picture is hanging on the wall hanging, at, yeah, and at the exhibit. So the, so the, the Jewish underground, because they, they were just planning and certain different there, there were quite few. Uh, so this I used as a media, like uh, using it as a media. Because if you want to go into it, I mean, it's not something that has to be on the wall. And some of these pictures look like they're just random pictures from local people, not necessarily journalists. Or have you mixed the two types of pictures? Uh, uh, this, this, this part, and it's a beautiful uh, part, which I collected photos from private albums. It's deal with the period between uh, 1967, like the Six, six Days War, what we call the euphoria time when, you know, it has a lot of historical implication. Did Israel miss the historical opportunity to, to do another status quo in the Temple Mount? I mean, what's all this struggle that's going on today? You know, Moshe uh, Dayan, before the, before the, when the war started, Israel didn't plan to, to conquer Jerusalem. It just happened, and he was sitting in the he was sitting in the Mount of Skop, watching the whole city. He said, what a divine sight. But why you, what, what do we need all this Vatican? This is how we call it. So, but after the 67 war, it was this uh, euphoria. And this, it's the big issue of the relationship between the Western Wall and the Temple Mount. You can say that most of these Jews went to the Western Wall. They didn't go to the Temple Mount. And if they went to the Temple Mount, they were secular. And they went it as a tourist, as a tourist place, like visiting Taj Mahal. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, we've, you know, we were the victorious. So... It's very much connected to the what we call the, the victorious area, and or how I call the the whole chapter I call victory and reality, because slowly, slowly the reality, which you can symbolize it in the first intifada in '87, like it's this suddenly people realize it's not that simple. Right, it's victory, but yet it became a very important political hotspot. Exactly, slowly, slowly it's becoming more and more political involving from both sides, religion and nationalism. 
I see here on the wall you have a picture of the first couple to get married at the Kotel after 67. Do you know anything about their story? Yeah, it's well known. Unfortunately, they divorced. Oh, I was going to say, where do they live today? <laughs> But uh, it's a very well known, and it really symbolized the... It really symbolized the, the feeling that was there. But, you know, in this chapter, it's in, very interesting because all of us, we know the iconic photograph of David Rubinger, you know, the free soldier watching the Western Wall. But I was able to discover the first uh, photographer who photographed, the, really the first uh, soldier arriving into the West, uh, to the Temple Mount first and then to the Western Wall. It's unknown story. And it's still very much what's, what's picture, what, which photos are be, um, becoming iconic photographs and which are not. And uh, this is very interesting. So I also I feel like I'm doing some historical justice. <laughs> so everyone's familiar with that beautiful picture of the soldiers at, looking up at the Kotel. And, and you have it here actually in, is in, that a in Time Victoria, magazine? Yeah, in one of the Victory books. You know, after the 67 war, there were thousands of uh, what we call Victory books were published, which... No, any other war. I've never well. heard of a victory book. I didn't know that. There are many. There were 60, 70 books. Wow. You can see them. We put, uh, you can see them in the vitrina. And they use, it was like, it was like, this was what I mean by the euphoria, because it was like, everybody was streaming to the Western Wall, you know, in the hours after the, 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 the battles ended in, the, in Jerusalem. Like, the, like the, the battle of the old city was very quick. I mean, uh, it was already the end. And everybody after that was streaming, especially also David Rubinger and all the other photographers. But the first photographer, not from this, is like it's one hour, two hours before that. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. And then also one of my favorite parts of the exhibit is the virtual reality where you allow people to actually see what it's like on the dome, at the Dome of the Rock and at, on the, the Mount yeah. for some people who don't feel that it, they can't go up politically or religiously onto the Mount themselves. So what is the video that you chose to show in the virtual reality? So, um, you know, uh, for me, because the, the, this, this exhibition is uh, very much connected also to history and political in the, in the way that it's trying to cover all the aspects that now we are dealing with the Temple Mount. As I said in the beginning, from monumental view or orientalist view till, till the view, till the, the volcano or the explosive power, which involves a lot of aspects. So I thought it's really, we really need also kind of, uh, uh, you know, more uh, let's say religious or, or tourist experience, you know, in this way. So you have, a, you have a one uh, virtual reality that you can watch the, the sailing and the Dome of the Rock inside, which because of political reasons now you cannot you can go never in. Go you in, cannot right. go in. And the second thing, as you said, a lot of people don't go, especially religious people, Or to those people, don't go because, you know, all this debate of the halakha, uh, if you can go there or cannot go there, so, so it gives the opportunity to see it. And also, the, let's say, the human dimension, you can join uh, the Ramadan prayer, like the Leilat al-Qadr, the last, one of the biggest events during the Ramadan, which thousands of people, you can join the prayer, or you can see, so it's really giving this, the human experience of the place, and not only the kind of historical, political, which you need some... Which, uh, give, which deal a lot of uh, aspects that we have today. Like, as I said, you can go, you cannot go. The Jewish temple group. The, the, um, well, you have the, pictures from the Temple yeah, Institute also. Yeah, 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 of course. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a, I think, uh, you know, the, the main idea, and this, I think, uh, if I can say it, it's the achievement of this uh, exhibition, is that it looks, it's reflecting the comp 
the complex or the Temple Mount issue, which is very complex without any whitewashing. So like taking a step back and look what's going on. This is, I see my duty as a curator. Um, I'm not putting here my personal opinion, of course, which I, I'm not sure I know, <laughs> but, uh, but it's uh, reflecting, but if any, without any whitewashing, we can say. Right. No, that's, yeah. So this is an, an exhibit that just opened this week, and it's going to be open until October. So if you're coming out to Israel for Pesach, make sure you stop by. They're going to have lots of children's activities going on at the Tower of David. We'll list them all on Fun in Jerusalem. Um, if you've got a specific question you want to ask the curator, Dr. Shimon, you can send him an email through Fun in Jerusalem. Just email tower at funinjerusalem.com. And thank you so much for sitting with us and giving us more insight. Yeah, and I would like to add, uh, first, it's a very, it's a big exhibition. It's uh, there are hundreds of photos here. And we have also a very beautiful catalog, which you can also order from the Tower of David website. I, the I first, love their catalogs, the first, yeah. Uh, I think it's the only book, as far as I know, which is dealing with this looking at it through the photography. So you've taken all, all of the photographs that are here in the exhibit are in the, the book, or most of them? Most. Most of them. You never put all. <laughs> you still need to give, give people a reason to come to the exhibit. But, um, yes, they do have a website, and I'll link to that website, and you can buy the catalog and um, come over and see the exhibit from now until the end of October. Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much. And now back to you, Yoni. Thank you, Joanna, and thank you, Dr. Shimon Lev, the curator at the Tower of David exhibit, The Mount. For Joanna Shepson, FunInJerusalem.com, FunInJerusalem on Facebook, FunInJerusalem on Instagram, where you can learn all the cool things. We have Rosh Chodesh Nisan coming up. That means uh, a lot of people are probably um, either headed to Israel for Pesach, maybe headed to other places around the world. But if you are headed to Pesach and looking for something to do, I urge you strongly to contact FunInJerusalem.com or follow, just go on the website, FunInJerusalem.com on Facebook, on Instagram. Head on over there, and I, I promise you, she already is pumping out such great material and all these cool things you could do uh, while in Jerusalem or all over Israel over Pesach. We have more music coming up. I'm going to play something uh, maybe a little bit unexpected. A lot of people are Greatest Showman fans. I've told you I'm a huge Greatest Showman fan. Um, came across this probably a few months ago, loved it, and happened to see it while I was uh, you know, on, on the computer here this morning. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to play it. It's a little slower than usual, but listen, it's Sholem Lemmer, David Hill from the High Lifeline 2018 Gala, A Million Dreams. Thank you for listening right now to Bite Size on the Nachum Siegel Network. Cool. 
אסור לך להתייאש, רק תמשיך לבקש, תשמור, תשמור את התקווה. ישלח לי את הנס, ישלח לי את הנס של Oh, 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 oh,
top of hour number two and it's time for Tovin Israel's interview with Rabbi Joshua Gerstein the rabbi and author of A People A Country A Heritage let's hear more about it right here right now on Bite Size at the Nachum Single Network thank you Yoni I'm sitting with my next Tova Talks interview guest uh, Rabbi Joshua Gerstein welcome to the show thank you so much for having me so Rabbi Joshua Gerstein is the amazing incredible author very inspiring author of his new book A People A Country A Heritage Torah Inspiration from the Land of Israel um I was so lucky that, you know, you um, you gifted it to me to read, and I've been enjoying it every week, reading all the different Torah. Uh, before we get into your book, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, um, when you made Aliyah, your, a little bit of your background story? Sure. So um, so I grew up in the, in the small town of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Oh. Um, not, not a big Jewish community there at all. I, um, what, I, the Amish? The Amish, exactly. We're not Amish, not Amish, no. but uh, we grew up with, uh, with the Amish in, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, my, my parents um, were very, uh, most of for me to have a Jewish education. I went an hour and 15 minutes uh, each way to school in Baltimore um, for elementary school. And then in, in high school, I dormed in Baltimore. I went to Yeshiva Sada Neri Israel uh-huh. for high school. And then um, right after high school, I came to Israel for a year in Yeshiva. And uh, the plan was to be in, in Israel for, uh, for a year. And then like, like everyone else does, go back to the States, go to college, get a job, and uh, start my life in America. Uh, after, after a year in Israel, I decided I wanted to stay another year. Mm-hmm. And that was um, when the terrorist attack happened in Merkaz Arav, in, oh. the, in the yeshiva. And it was just it was this, this weird feeling of I was in yeshiva in Israel, I was in the Yaakov. And the American yeshiva kind of went, went on as if like nothing had happened. It was, we were kind of in this interesting bubble. American bubble, exactly. The American yeah. bubble um, in yeshiva there. I thought, wow, this is, this is really weird. This is very strange. How can I be in Israel but not really be a part of what's going on, going on around me? Right. Um, so I had a friend who was actually studying at, um, at a yeshiva in the old city at the time. Uh-huh. So I, I moved to join him in that, uh, in that yeshiva. It was, wow. uh, it's called... Um, it's called the Bet Midrash Svaradi, the the Shiva Svaradik Center, is a yeshiva for for smicha, kolel, 
in the old city. So I went to join him there. Uh-huh. And um, so I stayed there for a few years. So being immersed in the old city and being with Israelis and really being able to immerse myself in the, in the culture, the history, the language, I really felt like more of a connection. I kind of left that American bubble. And uh, since then, I've never, n- never, never went back for any, any long period of time. Oh, um, you so stayed. You stayed, made Aliyah. Stayed, stayed, made Aliyah. Um, taught for a little bit in yeshivas. Got my degrees. Went to the army. You did the army. Did the army, yeah. Did the army. What did you do in the army? So I was, uh, for two years, I was a Mashak Dat. I was an assistant uh, assistant to the rabbi in the, the intelligence corps. Wow. I was um, responsible for around 800 soldiers, all of like, the religious needs from Talis to Tefillin, to Minyanim, to the, to the Shul, to all the different, different things of that nature, uh, trips, um, lectures. Wow. That's intense. Yeah, that That's was amazing. It was really intense. It was very, very uh, rewarding. Yeah. It was also um, one of the first times where, like, again, you know, going out of the bubble. So I went out from the American bubble to the Israeli bubble, <laughs> and then from the like the religious Israeli bubble to the to the all all, all the of army. Israel, the yeah. army, and yeah. the army is one of the only places where you can meet people across the political spectrum, across the religious spectrum, from all different places, and everyone yeah. comes together. And it was just this, this first time where I saw just totally diverse populations mixing together towards like towards a common goal wow that's amazing yeah okay so after the army um what was the next step you got married so i I was married before the army you were married Married before the army army. Uh, my my oldest son was born a month before uh, basic training oh my god no it was actually (laughs) it was actually amazing because um during basic training when everyone was complaining about we only have six hours of sleep so I was saying six hours straight without without changing diapers, without a crying baby. This is great. I'll do this. I'll do this forever. Okay, that worked out well. Um, that worked out well. Yes. Yeah. So no, so that was there. Um, and then so then after the army, I um, I started working at the National Library, National uh-huh. um, National Library in Jerusalem. A few other jobs here, here and there. And um, I did the course, the Rabbinim the the the, rab, the army rabbinate uh, course, officers course. So I'm now a, a lieutenant in the in the reserves and wow. a rabbi of a, of a battalion in the in the reserves as wow. well. Wow! Yeah. So there's a. I mean, we're, we won't get into it, but there's a connection between you and my husband. That's so. true. <laughs> that is true. So that's uh, that's very cool. Amazing. Um, so when did you when did the idea of writing a book come? Um, so, so a lot a lot of people have asked me that question, and I didn't really sit down and say I'm going to write a book. Okay. It kind of uh, developed over time from different places. Um, I think that there were there were three places where I really um, where I really needed to sit down and, and write something. Um, the first one was I was the assistant rabbi for a few years in Beit uh, Knesset Chazon Yecheskel, the the young Israel of the old city, um, with uh, with um, Rabbi Nachman Kahana. Oh, um, so that's Rabbi Kahana's brother. His brother, correct? Wow. His brother. So a few of the of the, the, the Shabbos, and when he wasn't there or he wasn't feeling well or whatever it may be, so I would give the drasha in the shul. Um, it was a, it was it's a shul in the Muslim quarter across from Yeshiva Teret Kohanim, and it had a, it had a um, a good percentage of, of, of English speakers who were in the shul. So the Devar Torah was always in, in in Hebrew during davening, but afterwards they had a kiddush and it was translated into English. Okay. Um, so one of my first uh, first Shabbos is there, so I figured, you know what, I might be doing this for a little while. Let me write it down after a month of Shabbos. Because um, why why research everything again for for the following year? Yeah. And so I had it all written down, and I sent in the article to Ruth Sheva. Huh? So I figured, let's see, you know, I thought th- I, I thought it was good. You know, my wife thought it was good. So let's see if it gets picked up. Yeah. And they picked it up, and they published it on Ruth Sheva. Wow. So it was Do you good. remember which one that was? Yeah, it was Parshas Pinchas. 
Okay. And the title was uh, The Righteous Women of Israel and all the amazing things that Jewish women have done for the Jewish people uh, throughout history. Wow. Um, and that was the first article that, that was published. I was picked up by Ruth Sheva. And then afterwards, every time I, I spoke in the, in, in the shul, so I would write down the article after Monty Shabbos, I would send it in. And, That's amazing. Um, you, wrote, you spoke like off the cuff and then you wrote it down? You didn't write it down first? No, so I had, I had like the, the sources that I wanted the to, the, the sources, the ideas, the message that I wanted to give over. That's like a kudos to you. you know, like, <laughs> with, uh, no, but that's really amazing that you put, you know, you put it together and then only after do you write it down. Right. Usually it's like the opposite. That's people right. write it down, prepare it, and then they have to like right, remember right. it. But that's, Right. Yeah. No, I feel like I feel like a lot of times that things that that um, the saying that things that come out of the heart go into the heart. Uh-huh. So I don't like to read from a prepared script because it makes it more formal. I like to just right. talk, but then when you want to write it down, so then you have to actually fill in the gaps. It can't be like a free flowing thought right, process because right, right. it needs to be written down. You can't write the way that you speak. Exactly. Exactly. That's yeah. my, my wife always yells at me about that because I, I write a lot of times the way I speak and it just doesn't doesn't. But I'll do grammar. that also. Like on my, I mean, it's a blog. It's not. It's not for a book. But I people say to me the reason that they. Um, connect to what I write is because I'm, it's like I'm talking to them. Right. Right now I hear that. Yeah. So, but for I a book that. it's different. You can't write with, you know, emojis. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so that, was really, that was the first place that, that I started um, that I started doing the talks and writing them down and everything. Um, the second place was I was teaching in, in, uh, in the yeshiva in the old city. Um, and, um, you know, with, with the guys as well, you know, trying to get um, modern Orthodox American students who are here for the year Understanding, you know, ideas, messages through Parshat Shavua. Right. Um, and then the other place was, was. Do you feel like there's a disconnect? I feel, I feel like there's a, there's a big disconnect. I feel like there's a disconnect in a lot of ways between how we look at the Parshat Shavua and our, and our day to day life. Okay. Meaning that, like the you know, we go to shul, we read the parsha, we even read some nice commentaries, which is very which is very nice. Um, however, like the, the the deeper questions, the deeper meanings, the the, the full thought out idea. Of now, what do we do with this? Sometimes it is lost in translation, uh-huh. and I think that in terms of in terms of, of, of books that are written, I think there are, there are a lot of other great books on, on the parsha, but I think that they all focus on one specific topic. Okay. Um, for example, there's a book that could focus solely on um, you know Eretz Yisrael related ideas in in the parsha. Some books that, that totally focus on just the mitzvot. Mm-hmm. Some people some books that just focus about the the the, the Am Yisrael aspect. Right. And here you're taking a people, a country, and a heritage. Exactly. Exactly. So inter- intertwining, you know, weaving it together. Right. So what I wanted to do with the book was to show how, how you need all three. How you need a people, you need a country, you need a heritage. And um, like a three, you know, uh, if you have a three-legged stool and you cut one of the legs off, so it's not going to stand. Right. Um, so I felt that, that you know, in, in many different groups of people, people focus on only one. They have this um, this tunnel vision of only a people is important or only the mitzvot are important. Or only the, the country. country is important, and right. I think that a lot of I think that every one of those groups would have a lot to gain by um, by looking at the other and seeing what they have to say about it. So the idea was through through sources, through um, you know through whether it was um, classical commentators like the Rashi, the Ramban, Sfarno, whoever it may be, or more contemporary rabbinic voices, and also people just regular philosophers or people who have something to say to kind of tie that all together and to weave um, these ideas into one yeah. uh, thing. No, because each person really needs to identify. As a Jewish person, you know, we have all those three aspects within us. But you're, as you're saying, a lot of people don't identify themselves right. within all three aspects. Right, and th- th- that's one of the, things, the biggest things that I, that I found in the army was um, during my service in the army and in, in, as well as in reserves was seeing how those things mix together. How when you see a person from the outside, you might automatically judge them based on their outward appearance, but you really have 100%. no idea right. what's what's going on inside. And you know. This is the person who is here. He's in this country. He knows he has his heritage, and he's part of the Jewish people. Again, people have different ideas of, how, of what that really means, and you know, I think debate is always is always a good thing. But 
when someone is giving of themselves, you know, of the of the years in the army, something to be able to really understand and see this this connection between the three of them. Wow. Okay. So first of all, the book is incredible. People are listening right now and they they want to read it. I'm sure they're like, ah, we want to read it. Um, how can they find it? Where is it sold? Um, so the book is is um, is is published by Bozeika Press, which is a great uh, publishing company in uh, Beit Shemesh in Israel. Okay. Um, it's distributed through Feldheim, so you can find it on Feldheim.com. Um, it's on Amazon.com. Oh, great. Um, it's also it's going to be on, on my website, uh, which is uh, a, a peoplecountryheritage.com. Okay. And, and it all, will be linked on the post. Okay, yeah, and all of those all those places. Are, Amazing. Uh, so living, you're living in Yerushalayim, you're living correct. in Jerusalem, um, raising a family here. Correct. How does that compare to growing up in Lancaster? It's, it, it's night and day. There, there's no, I don't think I can put into words the, the, the difference. Um, for example, when my, when my three-year-old came home, uh, around Hanukkah time this past year and they're learning in Ghana about the, the Kohen Gadol and all the different things so he comes home and since we sp- speak both English and Hebrew at home so he comes home and he's talking to us about the Kohen Gadol what he learned in Ghana so he said yeah Abba there's a really 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 big Kohen because right? Kohen Gadol right. Right, means big, big Kohen to right. a three year old and he's like yeah and he has this um, the, he has these bells and he has this and he's telling me exactly what the Kohen Gadol wears and I'm trying and you know I know that I don't remember when I was three years old, but there's no way that I knew that when I was three years old, growing right. up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, yeah. and just you know the ability of, of of just being in Yerushalayim and all that means. Last year, actually, for another example, um, the first day of Gan, the first day of, of kindergarten, is always a half day for the kids to get acclimated to, uh, to yeah, what's going that, on. That's everywhere. I think right, every everywhere. Jewish, every Jewish school right, over which the is, world. <laughs> which is a problem. Which is which is interesting because you have off the whole last week of August, right. and everyone's juggling all the different things. And then, and then, school then you finally think, starts. oh, school finally starts September first, but wait, it's only a few half days. hundred percent. So, um, so my son finishes first at twelve o'clock. So listen, we spent the last uh, week of August going out to all these places, doing this, doing that. Like, what trip can I take him to that doesn't cost any money? Yeah, that's free because, listen, we had a great week of August, but, but, but it's over. We're back to, back to real life. Like, right. That's it. Exactly. Um, so I said, oh, you know, what's free? What's the trip? Let's go to the Kota. Right? Okay. So I go, go to Hartzio and park the car, go down to the Kota, and I'm thinking, well, right, my free trip for my son after, after his first day of school because I don't want to spend money and I want something close to home He's oh yeah, let's just drive to the hotel for for three hours. Can you imagine that we have that opportunity? Right, right. It, 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 it was such a mind blowing experience because my son is. I, I didn't come here to, to Israel for my first visit. I was ten years old. Right. Right. And here, my son at two and a half, three years old, because his father is bored, is saying, <laughs> "Oh, let's let, let's go to the hotel because because I can." Right. And just what? You know, it's a really incredible. But I don't you hope also that like I also made Aliyah, and I hope that I had this passion. I needed to live here. And I hope that my kids who are growing up here are going to have that same passion and it's not going to be just a, you right. know, a day-to-day, and this is my, where I live, big deal. You know, right. I have to always feel like I need to instill it in them that this, this is an incredible place to live. No, 100%. I think, I think you definitely do. And I think that um, that's one of the hardest things as mm-hmm. a parent and, and a, as an educator. And I see that now actually with my, with my current job. Uh, now I work with, uh, with um, Netzach Yehuda, okay. which is uh, the ultra-orthodox uh, combat unit in the Kfir Brigade. I'm, uh, I'm one of the one of the rabbinim who goes around and supports the soldiers in, in the mentor, mentorship program. Wow. And uh, one of the biggest things you see in the army service is when these guys sign up for, for combat. So, you know, it's, it's, two, it's two, and a, two, two years and eight months of service. And everyone goes in with, with huge motivation. And then along the way, they kind of they forget why they're there. And they're in the guard tower, and then it's cold, and it's hot, or it's rainy, or why am I here? Why did I, why did I go into the yeah. army? All those different things. And I always tell them that, um, that it says in Masyati Sharim, or the Path of the Just by, uh, by the Ramchal, 
that the things that are the most obvious to us, and the things that we understand the most, are also those that we forget the most because they're so obvious to right, us. Right, because we take it, it's day to day. Day for granted, exactly, day for granted. granted. So, yeah. so what I tell them all, all the time is that, you know, people always, in terms of, of Israel and the army, whatever it may be, always argue whether or not the glass is half empty or half full. Uh-huh. But we totally forget the miracle that we have a glass. And, and we're and arguing about whether it's half full I or half love, empty. I saw that one. Oh, I love that. But we have a glass. But we have a glass. After, and that's, yeah. that's something, that's something that, that we should never forget that, that, we, that we have a glass. Right. I think that when we constantly focus on, wow, what are we doing? Um, I mean, for, for example, I just spoke to one of the boys today who is going to officer's training course to be a combat officer. So it's a long, grueling course. He told me today he's doing a navigations, navigation exercise in, uh, down south. So I, I told him a story that when I was in officer's training course as well, so we had, um, we had the navigations and we started at 6 o'clock in the morning. And uh, we got we got totally lost. So me and my partner were walking in the Mitzbeer Moon in the in the desert. I uh, started at six in the morning. It was probably a hundred degrees outside, and we get lost and we keep on getting lost. And we finally finish at one o'clock in the afternoon, and I get back to the bus. And the the battalion commander looks at me. Right, I'm all you know, I'm just all sweaty, and my face is red as a tomato. And he's like, "Are you okay?" So I said to him, you know, with the smile on my face in Hebrew, I said, oh, of course I'm okay. I'm living the dream. Yeah. So he calls for a medic. He's like, listen, this guy's heat stroke. What do you mean, what do you mean that you're, you're living the dream? Uh, yeah. So I said, no, no, I'm totally fine. He's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, think about it. For, for 2,000 years, we didn't have a country. Wow. We didn't have an army. So now I'm getting lost in officer's training course to, to be an officer in the Israeli army, in the first army in 2,000 years. That's amazing. Right. Wow. But putting things in perspective, you know, again, it's not always easy. It's not always fun. Things in Israel definitely are complicated. Yeah. But I think that if, you know, in terms of being parents and educators with our, with our kids, constantly reinforce the, that it's not a given, that, that, we have, that, we have, that the glass is not a given. So now we can debate whether it's half empty, half full, how to make it more full, whatever it may be. Yeah. But to always have them constantly realize that this is it's not a given. Yeah, it's not a given. To feel inspired. Well, your book is definitely doing that. And... Um, I'm going to ask you one last question. Sure. Okay. If you could think, you, it seems like you've been all over Israel, you know, just from all your experiences here, yeshiva, the army. If you could think of one place in Israel that you could call, that you could call your Israel happy place, what would that be? Wow. That's a great question. My Israel happy place. Um, you can even get up this I have to say the old city. The old city? I have to say the old city. Um, I studied in the old city for, for three years. Mm-hmm. I lived in the old, old city with my wife when we were married for four and a half years. Wow. And um, living in the old city and being in the old city is an experience like, l- like nothing else. Being part of that history, but also being a living part of that history. Meaning that we're, we're a continuation of, of, of what, what was. Yeah. And how when you see you know, in, in the Cardo in the old city, the old Roman plaza, there's these huge pillars... And um, I don't know if you ever noticed, there are little rocks on top of the big pillars. Yeah. And the little kids, the little Jewish they, kids in the row, would throw rocks. So basically what it is is that little Jewish kids in 2019 are playing games with ancient Roman Empire. And to be part of that and to right. be there and to see that and to experience that, I think that, and I think having the formative years of my Israel experience being there, I think that that would be my, uh, my happy place. Wow. Well, I continued, I, I wish you continued success. And I am, when can we expect the next book? Um, so God willing, um, the next book will be into the into the publisher, covering the parshot of of Vayikra Bamidbar Devarim. Should be into the publisher by the summer, uh-huh. um, by July August, and then hopefully nine months later, uh, the book will the book will be out. Wow. So that's the that's the plan. The birth of a book. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I'm enjoying uh, this book, and 
Do you have a title for the next one? Um, uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, People, Country, It'll Heritage, vol- volume, volume, volume 2. Volume two is, is the title. Amazing. Um, so, so continued success, and thank, thank you, you for sitting much. down with me, and thank have you sunshine on your journey. Me. Thank you very much. Thank you. Back to you, Yoni. Thank you. Thank you, Tova, and thank you, Rabbi Joshua Gerstein, the rabbi and author of A People, A Country, A Heritage. For Tova in Israel, you can find her tovanisrael.com, Tova in Israel on Facebook, Tova in Israel on Instagram, as she gets ready for the month of Nisan for Pesach. I'm curious to see how her Shuk experiences, which are world-renowned these days, uh, especially if you follow her online, but I'm sure you know someone that has gone one of her Shuk experiences. So I'm curious to see how that happens, how the, if they even take place during Pesach. If they're kosher for Pesach style, we'll have to find out. Um, but for more about her Shuk experiences or just uh, all the cool things going on in Israel, you'll want to follow Tova in Israel on Instagram, Tova in Israel on Facebook, and Tova in Israel.com. Plenty of music coming up here to wrap things up. Uh, the segment that has no name is still to be determined. We'll check that out, you know, 1045, 1050 or so. If not, we'll do a smaller wrap-up. But for now, as you're used to, plenty of great music. And uh, we'll start it off with one of my new favorite songs I told you about last week. Baruch Hashem from Zusha and Pumpadisa featuring Matt Dub right here on Bite Size at the Nachum Siegel Network. Da, 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 da.
the world make over. Mashiach will come take over. You ain't gotta be me or see what I see. All you gotta do is take a look forward. Lift up your eye to the sky. Spread out your hands. Say thank you. Smile. Get them up. Put them up. Leave them up. Ha ha. Yeah, yeah. Pump up the value every day. Stand in place. Heart racing. No words to say. Pressure building. Trying to hold my face. Mind drifting like not today. Wake up from everything. Break out your shell and scream. Ha. Shim. You're the king. Ha. Shim. You're the king. Hashem Eleh, Hashem Alach, Hashem Imloch, Le'olam Va'em. Hashem Eleh, Hashem Alach, Hashem
Machabrocha from Shmuley Unger, one of the, uh, it's not even new, so much so new anymore, it's just a hot song out there, the music video by Mayor K, what's it at, 1.8 million now views, it's a great song, a lot, I mean, uh, obviously like the meaning of the song, right, Machabrocha, but also uh, the the lyrics, especially that time where he's, uh, you know, like eight different brachas that just work really well within the song, uh, big fan of it, just a good, good song, nice upbeat, fits my style. Everything about it. A plus. 
on the uh, bite-sized scale here on the Nachum Single Network. Anyway, thank you all for tuning in to the last two hours here with me on Bite Size. No segment that has no name. Uh, good chance we get one either next week or right before Pesach, so we could discuss, um, you know, Pesach, because uh, that is Miriam's favorite subject. Not necessarily so much mine, but all right, we can make it happen. So nonetheless, you could expect the segment that has no name to return, hopefully once, at least once over the next two weeks. The Wednesday Live Lunch coming up next here on the Nachum Siegel Network with the legendary Avrami Finkelstein. In case you're wondering what Avrami does at this network, it's pretty much everything. I kid you not. Like Avrami handles everything and does a few shows himself while handling everything. Wild. I don't know how he does it. Man of many talents. So tune in to the next two hours as Avrami hosts the Wednesday Live Lunch. That'll do it here again. Thank you all for tuning in for the last two hours with me here on Bite Size. My name is Yoni Pollock. I'd like to wish you all a good day and remind you that the Bite Size is always, always, always the right size.